Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Network. I'm here today, first-time guest, Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. Covers the NBA draft, has been doing great work over at Sports Illustrated. Really excited to have you on the show. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's glad. It's good to be here. Uh, I think this is the final stretch now, uh, finally, right? It feels like we can actually like talk about what's going to happen and not just be 100% speculative, but... Yeah, <laughs> it was really, really weird doing a podcast in like April and June and not having any idea when any of this was actually going to, uh, you know, come to fruition and when the draft was going to be. And, and it's really interesting that here we are so close to the draft now. And in some ways, teams have had a lot of time to prepare, actually, in many ways, more time to prepare. But there's still so much uncertainty uh, around NBA teams. And you were talking to me a little bit about, again, some of that around salary caps, some of that around trades and just trying to work out so many difficult things. It's it's hard to know exactly what teams are doing this close to the draft. But I want to I want to take a step back and uh, give our listeners an introduction to you. Uh, how did you get involved in the NBA draft, and what's your philosophy in covering it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so I grew up in Chicago, uh, on the south side of Chicago, and uh, yeah, I went to college uh, in the area too. And you know, some of uh, you know, I was a journalism major, and some of the early assignments we had were pretty open ended. So at the time, uh, there was a lot of really good uh, basketball talent in the area. You know, it was the Jabari Parker, uh, Julia Logafor, Cliff Alexander, Tyler Ulis, Jalen Brunson, like a three or four year run of really good high school players. And so, uh, you know, I played basketball in high school. I wasn't very good, but I did play. Uh, and it was always something I was interested in. Uh, and some of the coaches um, who I had, uh, you know, had also coached some of these other players. And so I felt comfortable, you know, going down to these games. Uh, and that was sort of where it started for me. So then, you know, I got to Sports Illustrated. I started there as an intern. Uh, by the time I got there, you know, I had been to a lot of these AAU tournaments and different things in the Midwest. And, you know, I was familiar with the players. And so that kind of led to, you know, part of my role even early on there was, you know, having to do with the draft. And just naturally, I knew more about some of these uh, these players than the people that they already had. So luckily, you know, I've been fortunate enough. They kept me around. And it's been a long-term thing where I've sort of grown and gotten to grow into the job. Uh, and so, you know, over the years, you know, I would say I didn't really know much when I started, to be honest. And, you know, it's been a really interesting, you know, thing to sort of learn on the fly. And, uh, you know, now, you know, having had more time to sort of go to games and be around and, you know, ingrading myself more in terms of, you know, people around the NBA, uh, that, you know, when I cover it, it's become more of an Intel type deal, uh, where, you know, I, I go to a ton of games, uh, during the season, you know, I spend time watching film and I take the time to, you know, evaluate guys as much as I can. And I have the, also luckily I have access to, you know, teams and have had good relationships around the league where people have, uh, you know, been willing to teach me stuff. And also uh, I kind of have learned sort of how to cover, cover this from the information side. So I try to do a little bit of both uh, with my coverage. Awesome. Uh, let's, 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 we're just going to dive into this, uh, Jeremy. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that, I'm really fascinated about is, you know, teams don't agree. Uh, certainly us in the media that are covering it also sometimes don't agree on things. And, and it's, you know, when you look at especially this draft in 2020, where there isn't a, an Anthony Davis or a LeBron James or a Zion Williamson in this draft, you're talking about players that have strengths but also have some significant weaknesses in their games. And those are the things that start 
you know, to give people pause and how, how much you value a particular strength or how much you value a particular weakness as being detrimental to a player's ability to succeed in the league really factors a lot into this. So I want to start right at the top and ask you on your big board, who do you got number one? So for me all year, it's been Anthony Edwards uh, dating back to the fall uh, before the season last year. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to see, you know, Edwards and LaMelo and James Wiseman all live. I was at Wiseman's pro day and I saw ball play in the Drew league when I was in LA. So I'm not, I wasn't coming in like totally blind, uh, to it. And, you know, for me, it's not like, it's not like I would say like, it's the most clear cut thing ever. Like it's definitely something that's worth discussing. Um, you know, I, I lean Edwards just because of the physical component. Um, I think there's a lot of growth potential, uh, with him. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes the debate is, you know, what's a lack of feel and what is just a lack of experience. And, you know, he did reclassify in high school. I think there is a lot of growth potential if you can keep him on track and sort of get him in the right environment. That's going to be important for him just because he is so young. Um, but uh, in terms of, you know, the ability, I don't really have too many questions. Uh, you know, I really think he can score the ball. I think he is a good passer. Uh, I think he'll be a pretty good defender. I, I, I think I don't know. I'm not sure why this happened, but I don't think he got enough of a break defensively just because like, look, he's a 18 years old and he's incredibly high usage offensive player for a team that didn't have a lot of offense. Right. So they really needed him to score. And, you know, it's very rare that you're going to find a teenager who's going to also, you know, give you 40 minutes of great defense. Right. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass there. Um, but it also comes down to, you know, with Wiseman, I question, you know, just generally taking a center one, unless you are really blown away. And I, and I wasn't hundred percent sold and, uh, with Lamelo, I obviously see it's really hard not to see the talent talent level. Um, but you know, between the shooting and just you know, for me, I want my point guard to be you know sort of the leader of the team and sort of you know be more um, of that guy who you know is, is going to take control. And you know, I, I don't know if it's not to take a shot at Lamelo. I just I, I'm not sure that's what his personality is. And with his unusual path, uh, you know, how long it's going to take for him to be the guy who his teammates trust to kind of run the team. So, you know, for me, it's Edwards, but it's kind of, it would, it would depend a little bit on who I am, uh, you know, if, which team had the pick. Uh, but, but Edwards has been the answer for me. You know, one, one way we sort of talk about ranking players is in tiers, right? Um, and, you know, at, you know, tier one, the superstar, tier two, all-star, tier three, good starter, you know, tier four, you know, starter to rotation player. I'm not sure there's a tier one, uh, you know, in this draft. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that superstar is, is coming. Uh, even if even if Lamelo or Anthony Edwards hit their peak, I'm not sure that that's that's what we're at. But certainly, you could start thinking about some of these players if they hit their peak, being tier two and maybe being able to make an All Star game. Uh, you know, for example, I mean, you could see if everything works out for Lamelo that he could be an all-star in the league. I think the same is true with Anthony Edwards. And certainly if everything worked out with James Wiseman, given his physical package, and also given the dearth of really good centers in the league, the fact that he could be you know, a multi, multi, uh, multiple all-star is there. Do you have anybody else? All right, first of all, all, do you have all three of those players ranked in the same tier? Or uh, is it just one or two or what have you? Yeah, I, I think... I think I would put Edwards and Ball in the same tier if I was going to think about it like that. Wiseman would probably be like slightly behind them, but 
it's 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 close. Um, but with him, I just I think it's more of like you know you're gonna get the production, but to what end? Like you look at like an Andre Drummond type career he's had. He's been really productive, but hasn't really been an accessory to success on the court as much. And that's sort of my worry there. I think. Okay, let's talk about who's next then, because those have been the three guys that. For for better or for worse, and certainly Wiseman, it, it probably has a little bit bigger window. Um, you know, so I've I've seen both teams and and other media that have him, you know, six, seven, you know, eight on on their boards. Edwards tends to be a top three, both from all the NBA teams that I talk to, as well as sort of what you see in the media. Lamelo's range maybe a little bit wider uh, than that, maybe like one through five. But those have been the three guys that I think have have gotten the most attention and the most focus. Who's who's next? Like, who is the guy that you say either should be in that conversation or is the next player that people should really be focusing on in this draft? For, for me, that guy has been Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I, I'm i very sort of bullish on him, um, and I have been for, for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I do – sometimes I worry a little bit too much, just like I've been on this train for too long um, just because, like, I, I saw him play – I've told this story before, but you know, I, I saw him play um, in December of 2018. Uh, I was at Iowa State. I was at, I was out there to see Taylor Horton Tucker, and I walked away thinking, "Who who is this guy?" Uh, they played they played like North Dakota State or something, and it was a bad game. But you could just you could see how much fun Tyrese was having, uh, the unselfishness. And this was on a team where he really wasn't even asked to score that much, and just that type of thing really shone through. Uh, so, so I actually I actually ranked him like way early he was like 28 or something on our site in like January of 2019. Uh, now, did I expect him to be a top five pick? No, I don't know at all, but just, just seeing his growth uh, and seeing sort of like the basic things that I loved about him sort of evolve. And, you know, also, you know, what he did with the under 19 team over the summer. Uh, and this is, this is the type of human that you want to bet on. Um, so I'm not saying he should be the number one pick, but I also, I know that there are some people around the NBA who like him more than LaMelo. Uh, I think, you know, the conversation publicly has not been so much that, but I, those conversations are happening. Um, and, you know, there are obviously, there are obviously holes in his game with, with the handle and ability to create off the dribble, but also there's a lot of people jumping to conclusions. Well, he can't do those things, but you know, he really has gotten a lot better in a really short amount of time. He also has maybe of any of the prospects in this draft, just the most stellar background check that you could possibly have. Everybody loves him. Everybody thinks that from a locker room standpoint, he's a leader, uh, and, uh, and 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 that matters in the league. Uh, you know, especially where the talent in this draft isn't just like leaping off the page. Having someone that also is going to fit your culture uh, in your team in a, in a big way, and and that certainly seems to be something for Halliburton. This is always the you know dilemma. I, I've been doing the draft for a long time, Halliburton actually I think has fewer holes than Wiseman, Edwards, or Lamello, but doesn't have that one thing that like, you know, pops the way, you know, Lamello's floor vision is, for example, or the way that, you know, Anthony Edwards' athleticism really pops off the page and his, you know, his scoring ability, or just Wiseman generally in his size and, and versatility for his size. He doesn't have that one thing that pops off, but there's you know, you talked about there's a few little flaws in his game, but overall, this is a a very very well rounded basketball player that it's hard to hard to figure out how he doesn't succeed in the league, right? I can see where Lamelo Ball could crash in the league. I could see certainly where Wiseman could crash in the league. I can even see it with Anthony Edwards if 
you know, this this take on how is feel for the game. If it really is about feel and not experience, you, you know, he's only going to be able to go so far uh, with it, with his athletic talent. But with Halliburton, man, it's hard for me to like devise scenarios other than like catastrophic injuries where he isn't in the league for a really long time. And he's going to win for a long time, I think, too. You know, like that that's one thing I do. I slightly worry that if you drop him into a situation where, you know, it's a team that is sort of in a full rebuild and maybe they ask him to, you know, do too much right away as far as like usage with the ball, he may struggle. Um, but, you know, people have asked me to, uh, you know, do you think he's a point guard? Uh, can he play on the ball? And my answer to that has been, I don't know if it matters because uh, his feel is so good. Uh, everyone's playing multiple ball handlers now. Uh, I think he can spend some time on the ball and he's such a good passer away from it. And, you know, his shot looks weird, but it goes in. And I think it's been proven that it goes in. So for me, there's more upside there. And there's two teams that really, to me, at the top of the draft, I think are really interesting fits for him, which is Golden State. Uh, you know, assuming that they were at two, I, I actually think Halliburton, to me, makes a lot of sense uh, for them at number two and Chicago Bulls at four. Uh, where I, I think Halliburton would be a really nice fit in Chicago, despite the fact that they've drafted some guards in the past and and you know certainly have some young guards there. Um, what Halliburton brings in his versatility and I think his ability to step in and play right away, but there isn't the pressure in either of those teams for him to like have to be a superstar or carry the team, I think could be really great fits for him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, you know Chicago is a good example. Uh, you know, if you're sort of a younger team, uh, you know, maybe still looking to sort of fill the, the leadership void uh, and you want to make sure that your guys are in the gym and working, you know, he's the type of culture piece that I think will have a, you know, maybe an increased impact. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to find a team that's a bad fit for him, uh, but it's just a question of, you know, which team for which team is that the better upside proposition at XYZ spot in the draft. There's two international players that look like they're going to be top 10 picks in this draft, Killian Hayes uh, out of France and Denny Avdia um, out of Israel. Uh, teams disagree on what order uh, they're going to go in. Some teams really excited about Avdia and especially how he played uh, when he was able to actually come back from COVID uh, in June and July in Israel, uh, where he shot the ball better and just overall uh, played a bigger role in the offense uh, for Maccabi Tel Aviv. And then Killian Hayes, who's just been kind of a, a slow riser all year, got a shout out to Kevin O'Connor, who put him number one on his board, you know, back in the fall, which I think a lot of people thought he was crazy. And actually, well, I haven't seen any NBA teams that have Killian Hayes number one. He has moved into the top five uh, for a number of, a number of teams, which I think is really interesting. If you were drafting, forget about need for a minute. Uh, which which is the guy you take, Killian Hayes or Denny Avdia? Uh, I would I would take Hayes, and I say that without uh, much hesitation. Um, you know, I, I I've I've sort of enjoyed watching him for a while. Uh, you know, he was at two basketball without borders camps, uh, the last couple of years and stood out at both. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he's a guy who I've been interested in. Um, and you know, as this class has materialized and, uh, you know, the point guard class sort of came into play too. It's, I think that's part of been why, uh, he's risen just cause, uh, you know, he, he's shown, you know, this was a big year for him just showing he had, he had the aptitude to, play on the ball full time and make good decisions. And, uh, you know, there, there's still some uh, division as far as, you know, how high would you take him? Uh, but I don't think anyone is doubting that, uh, you know, his just his sheer talent and his really advanced, uh, you know, footwork and craft getting to the rim, 
uh, are all really impressive things. And, you know, for me, I've seen like a little bit of like Ginobili type stuff from him in terms of just intuitively being able to compensate for not necessarily being the most explosive. You know, he's tough. He competes. Uh, I think there's a lot to like with him. Uh, and, you know, Denny is someone I'm a little bit lower on just cause I've never like, I just, I guess I just question, you know, we talk about him. I, I think the, the main media take on him has been, you know, he's going to be a versatile playmaker who can be a secondary ball handler. And, you know, I just, I'm not sure I'm ready to like leap to the conclusion that he is for sure going to do those things. Cause I just, I didn't see a lot from him in terms of ball handling uh, this year. And I'm, you know, I know he was playing a smaller role uh, on an advanced team in Europe. So you give him a little, a little bit of a pass, but I just, I don't know if he's a good enough ball handler yet. And I don't know, I'm not confident in his shooting just cause it looks a little bit mechanical to me. Um, I, I just, I'm not, I know that he can do these things, but I'm not confident. It's like a package that I would take in the top five. I'm not confident at all in his shooting. You look at his free throw percentage, um, which tends to be the tell uh, statistically on how a player is going to shoot in the NBA and it's 56, 57, 58%. Uh, he did shoot the ball better uh, when he came back uh, in June and July, uh, but still had those one one for six nights. And to me, I don't see how he succeeds as a player. I don't think he does enough else that if he's not really able to stretch the floor for a team, uh, I, I just, you know, you know, you, some people compare him to Dario Saric. Dario Saric, by the way, at his age, was a much more dominant player than Europe uh, than, than Denny Avdia was. And, you know, Darius Saric has struggled a bit in the league to really translate the way that I think some teams hoped uh, that he would um, at the next level. And uh, that, that, that scares me with Avdia, though, you know, some teams really like him. I think the aggressive way that he plays the game is part of where he gets fans. I mean, th- this is a very competitive dude uh, who's going to go out and play really, really hard and play with a passion. Um, but again, I don't know how much sometimes that covers up all the warts. Uh, that are there in his game. Yeah, and I worry about him defensively as well. Yeah. Okay, Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to start talking about a few other players uh, on our big board. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can use for other important things like mortgage or food. Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com.
And we're back. I'm with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. We are talking 2020 NBA draft. We've talked a little bit about some of the prospects that we have in the lottery and and who we like and 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 some of those rankings. I want to talk about another player who followed the same or a similar path to LaMelo Ball, uh, RJ Hampton. He very highly ranked high school player, skips college, goes to play at, in New Zealand uh, and is okay. You know, he, he's a young player on a, on a pro team. Uh, he's okay. Incredible athlete. And, and you know, that's, that's the thing that's going to stand out. Teams all over the board on, on where they should take him. Teams, some teams have him in the top 10. I, I think he's like 14, something in the neighborhood of like 13, 14 on, on my big board. You have him even lower. Tell us about RJ Hampton and what you think. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a player I've had a chance to see live uh, in a couple of different settings. And, you know, immediately, like you said, the tools really pop. You know, he's big, he's fast. Um, but I, I do worry to an extent sometimes, you know, oftentimes guys who have that advantage at a younger age um, get exposed later uh, where they're used to, you know, athletically dominating, especially if you're a scorer like he is. Um, you know, the, the, the margins there get finer. And I think you saw, you know, playing in the NBL, um, you know, he wasn't ready to be a full-time point guard. They had him play more of a combo two type role. Um, you know, he, he was never looking very confident in his shot. Um, and, you know, for, for me, my holdup is, you know, I view him as more of a wing long-term. I just, I don't see the point guard, you know, IQ there to really run the team. I haven't seen it yet. And I'm not sure that's going to materialize. Often it doesn't this late in the game. So, you know, we're saying, obviously he's a teenager, but, you know, you can usually tell, you know, at least when there's like an inkling that a guy can really like run offense, I think he's more of a secondary scorer. And so, you know, him being able to succeed at that is pretty contingent on being able to shoot and being a dynamic shooter at that. And, you know, he'll be a good transition player. I think physically he fits. I, I was there in Memphis when they played the Grizzlies, when the breakers came over uh, last fall and physically he fit on the court, like even then. Right. But just the other stuff is the question. And it's, it's funny, like, you know, I've heard him, you know, compared to like Dante Exum for better or worse in terms of, a guy who was really interesting to teams and didn't quite pan out has had injuries, obviously. So that's a caveat, but, but I've also heard, you know, he likes to work and he's interviewed very well uh, for some teams. So definitely an interesting guy with a wide range could go late lottery, could fall maybe early twenties. It's going to be interesting. I think one of the interesting things about guys like uh, RJ Hampton, Jalen McDaniels, what have you is given that this isn't the strongest draft teams start to wonder what sort of value are you going to get in the mid first round late lottery mid first round anyway because again I, i'm not even sure that as we get into the late lottery this is a particularly strong uh, lottery down there and so you start talking yourself into some of these younger prospects who have that one thing that really you know pops and for hampton obviously his athleticism and and maybe you hope he's going to develop that jump shot and some of those other things uh you know Jalen mcdaniels you know the there's, there's things about his game that you really like. It, you didn't see much of it at Washington, uh, his freshman season. Uh, but you want to talk yourself into this, and you're seeing those those type of players, Patrick Williams, like kind of rising in the draft because, you know, what's the value proposition? Are you really going to get a solid rotation player in this draft anyway in the, you know, in the 13 to 20 range? And so I think that's one of the reasons that RJ may end up going higher, not necessarily based off of resume or skill, but teams saying, okay, this is a player we're going to go develop. And because, because they have that sort of baseline athletic ability uh, that's intriguing to us, let's see what, let's see what can happen. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And th- th- those are two names that I think are interesting because, uh, you know, there are people who are down on them, but at the same time, it- it's funny that when you, when you get back to it and you sort of find out what teams are thinking, these guys always end up trending higher than lower just because, you know, everyone is looking, especially in the teens, it's like, well, you know, where's the upside? And those guys usually end up in that range for better or worse. That's what happens. Yeah. So. yeah for better, or for worse. <laughs> and the interesting thing about upside is a lot of times upside doesn't pan out, but when it does, everybody looks foolish uh, when they passed on it, right? And and I can tell you one thing that general managers don't like to look is foolish. And and so you start to factor into this decision-making, is this a player who in five years could make me look really dumb that I, that I passed on him? And so, you know, there's other players in the draft that the answer probably would be no, but guys like RJ Hampton or Jalen McDaniels are guys that if they did for some reason pop, and again, I'm not sure what the likelihood of that is, uh, but if they do, you don't you don't want to look bad, and and you know saving face is is a big part of the NBA draft, and uh, uh, you know and you know it as a draft analyst, as, and certainly as a general manager. I mean, you know you you don't love getting roasted, uh, you know f- for taking Ke- Kelly Olenek over Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, right? Uh, because because you know you didn't bet on the upside. Let's talk about Maryland's Jalen Smith, another guy that's been rising on my board at a. a a player that teams see his ability to stretch the floor, also play inside, protect the rim, um, plays really hard, definitely questions about who he's going to defend uh, at the next level. Um, you're not a big fan. Where do you have Jalen Smith on your board? Yeah, I have him as like a late first round, early second round guy. Um, he's, he's not the type of player I would really, really consider in the lottery uh, for a couple. I mean, for a couple reasons. First of all, I think he's a pure five. I just, you know, I've seen him live a couple of times and I just, I can't get over the movement stuff. He's, he's pretty stiff. He doesn't cover ground super well as a help defender. You know, he can protect the rim if you're going to run a play right at him. Um, but he was sometimes a step slow there. I just, I don't think he's that athletic and, you know, because he can shoot and because he is big, um, you know, obviously those are two things that are going to get you on the floor. You know, if we're talking about what we're looking for in a center, just for a role player, those are important things. And uh, you know, I can see that being a pathway for him, but, um, you know, to me, I view him as a pure, pure five. I don't see like the, you know, increasingly now, if you're going to be a four, even a stretch four, if you're a bigger four, you know, you got to be able to play in the flow. You got to be able to make little, little plays and make the right pass. And, you know, the IQ factor I think is important when we're talking about, you know, who can be a four versus who is a pure five. I'm not sure he's there. Uh, so, so for me, I'm, I'm just a little bit lower because I, I view him as more of a one position player with limited uh, utility if he's not a high ball screen threat to pick and pop. There's a lot of variability on him. And especially as you start getting into the twenties, a lot of variability. I could have listed 30 to 40, maybe 30 to 45. And even players that I had 45, I could find a team or two that might have them ranked in the mid twenties. You know, for example, there seems to be a lot of parity there one, uh, let's talk about a couple of players that didn't make my top 30, but that you're particularly high on um, right now. And let's start with Isaiah Stewart. And what is it that you think should elevate Stewart into the into the first round? And where do you have him on your board? Yeah, absolutely. I, so I, I have him in the 20s. Um, I can't remember where I put him on the last update, but I, I think like 25 or something. I think I think that's a good range for him. Uh, you know, he's a guy, first and foremost, yeah, I'm really confident in him getting better. Uh, you know, for the last couple of years, dating back to high school, you know, I've had a chance to see him play um, at different stages. You know, his body has really improved uh, and he's in really, really good shape right now, um, which I think matters a lot when you're talking about a guy who 
you know, was, you know, sort of heavy set at a young age and uh, has sort of shaken that stigma, I think. Uh, you know, I think he'll be a little bit more mobile than you think. Now, he's not going to be a guy who's switching five positions, but, uh, you know, he's really long. Uh, he's very active, uh, has always stood out, you know, among his peers uh, in terms of being vocal and, you know, just defensive minded. And I, I just think it's sometimes we take for granted, you know, centers who know their centers because there's less and less of them nowadays. You know, you have a lot of bigs who think they're guards and he is not that. And I, and I actually like that. And so, you know, I think there's a chance he'll be able to shoot and knock down open shots. He's not going to have to do much more than that. He, he's not a guy who I'm going to want to post a ton, but, you know, realistically, for me, philosophically, I don't really care about running post-ups anyway. I'm more of like set a screen, you know, rebound, dive, you know, do the little stuff. I, I can count on him to do that. Um, and, and, and so for me, you know, that boosts the floor. Um, so, so I'm comfortable with him in the late first round. Uh, and I think he'll bring leadership and, you know, for a younger team too. You know, we talk about Halliburton as one of the guys who unanimously everybody loves. I think Isaiah is one of those guys where everyone is very sold on him as a person. Uh, and it's going to go a long way. Talk to me about Xavier Tillman. You also have him in your top 30. Where do you have him ranked and, and why do you believe he's a first rounder? Yeah, you know, he, he and Isaiah, it's some of the same stuff where you're just, you're confident in that, in that person and maximizing their opportunity. And uh, Tillman is another guy, you know, I was around Michigan State in the NCAA tournament uh, a couple years ago, I guess it was when, when they made their run of the Final Four. Uh, and, you know, just talking to him, you can really tell, uh, you know, he kind of has what it takes. Um, you know, he's very realistic, uh, has an understanding of who he is as a player. And I think, you know, Cassius Winston got a lot of the headlines for them, but, you know, Tillman was just as important for their team success, just as the defensive backbone uh, for those teams. And, you know, I know analytics, um, advanced stats really love him in terms of like, you know, on off stuff and, and just little things that don't necessarily show up in terms of points. Um, and he can really pass, which I love too. Um, you know, I love bigs who can pass just for me. Uh, that's it's really important. I don't like players who are dead ends offensively, no matter what position you play. And he's not that. So I think there's a pretty good chance he has a long career. Even if he's your third big, uh, you know, he can do that for a good team. Let's talk about one more uh, player. This player, I, I, I had right on the borderline. He was like my next player in Leandro Bomaro. Uh, and what you like about him and, and, and why you have him as a first rounder. Uh, Bomaro, it's all about all about the upside, uh, all about the basketball IQ. Um, you know, if we're talking about guys who are, you know, have the size and have a chance to be, you know, legitimate like second unit playmakers in this draft, it's not a very long list. I mean, I mean, I guess take out the second unit part. I mean, Lamelo is a big playmaker. Killian Hayes is a pretty pretty big playmaker. Uh, there are not that many of those guys, and then there's Bomaro. Um, I don't think I'm missing anyone, right? In terms of guys who have like lead guard type acumen, who can who are really creative passers. Right. So those are the type of guys everyone's looking for. Um, so, you know, you, you know that you can keep him overseas for a year. You know, he's, he's going to play at Barcelona this season in all likelihood, uh, over probably the year after. Uh, so, you know, you can stash him. Um, you know, you can see just the brilliant p- passing flashes. He's going to have to get better at shooting the ball. Um, you know, he needs more seasoning, you know, played obviously on the Barcelona B team last year. Uh, but I think there's just so much to like about him. And, you know, if I'm betting on upside, I'm going to bet on that guy. And I know the, the background on him is pretty good. Uh, you know, you know, he's going to work. And uh, again, big playmakers, that's where it's at. And he's like the only one you can get outside the lottery right now. So for, for me, it's not that complicated. How high would you be willing to draft uh, Bomaro in this draft? I, I think so. If I were a team that knew I didn't want to roster a rookie this year, I mean, I, I would think about him in the, like the late teens, uh, 20s for sure. Um, I think I have him 
in that like 17 to 20 range um, just off the sheer talent. And you know, he's a guy, you know, he could be, I don't think he's going to be nothing. You know, he might, he might not be a starter. Uh, but I think there's a chance he's a rotation guy who, you know, you like having around. Um, so, so, so for me, I, I think that's the type of bet I'd want to, I'd want to make. Okay. We were with Jeremy Wu sports illustrated, uh, talking about some of the players that, uh, he has ranked in the first round that didn't make our, uh, top 30 big board 2.0. We're going to be back after a word from our sponsors. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein. Uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we're back. I'm with Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. Jeremy, I want to pivot. We've been talking about our big board. You know, the big board is sort of a ranking in aggregate for me or a ranking in theory about who the best players are. But we know when it comes to actual draft night uh, that teams are going to look at a number of different factors. Teams have their own big boards of how they're ranking players. And certainly, even though teams often deny it, fit is one of those <laughs> is one of those things, right? How does this player fit into our system? How does this player fit into a team with the way it's currently configured? It's really hard to make a lot of uh, smart analysis right now when you have so many teams in flux waiting to figure out what the salary cap is going to be, waiting to figure out what they're going to do in free agency, uh, talking trades with you know established teams like the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves that in, in part maybe wanting to go a different direction uh, for next year. Let's talk about a few of the teams uh, in the lottery and what what you think uh, they should do. Uh, let's start let's start with a uh, Golden State. Right, they're at two. We all I think we all know that that they're going to trade if they can. What what do they do if they can't? Yeah. Um so I kind of took a deeper look at this this week. I was working on a piece, you know, sort of about this uh conundrum uh for the Warriors and you, you know, um you know, you do the more you look at it, the more you do start to question, you know, will that trade arise where it's going to be worth packaging all their stuff now. Like, cause a, you got to find someone to take, if, like, let's assume they're looking for a star. You got to find someone to take Wiggins. 
and you have to be willing to attach, you know, this pick and probably the Minnesota pick next year. So, you know, if you got to do all those things, well, why not wait? Right. Because I, I think there's a school of thought, well, Hey, maybe we keep Wiggins. Um, you know, we think he'll play better, you know, not having to be the guy he'll play off of Curry and he'll play off of clay and have another really good pass from the floor and Draymond. I mean, those guys make other guys better and that's proven. Right. So maybe you hope, you know, if, if we rehab Wiggins value, maybe we re-examine this at the deadline, you know, maybe Bradley Beal becomes available at the deadline. Maybe Ben Simmons at the deadline, things have changed. Maybe Philly's ready to pivot. Um, I think if you can kick the can down the road and wait for a star, maybe you do it. Uh, so if you keep it, I think, you know, if you're making the pick now, it's going to just be about, you know, who is the best, best prospect who we can develop, put into a situation to develop into a movable asset later if we decide to do that. Um, and, and so, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, so for me, you know, if we assume Minnesota takes Edwards, which they may have to, if, if they can't make a pick, he's, I think he's the best fit for, for them. Uh, and I think Wiseman versus LaMelo, I think Wiseman, Wiseman's a better fit for Golden State specifically because you know that they can play him right away. You know you can give him 25 minutes. He'll probably look good sprinting the floor. He looks good running the floor. You'll be able to get him layups, let him, you know, teach him up on defense or, you know, coach him up defensively. Uh, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance he looks good as a rookie there in limited duty where LaMelo, I think you just, you know, you run into some of the same problems with Angela Russell, where, you know, if you had tried to play him with Steph Curry and there's one ball, you know, obviously Curry could play off the ball. Um, but I, I just, I think you might run into problems in terms of fit where LaMelo, maybe you hurt his value. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it does seem like if, while LaMelo may have more trade value right now, uh, right? If you're thinking about dangling LaMelo versus dangling Wiseman, LaMelo seems to uh, to have the more trade value. I think that's a really interesting point about the way that Golden State could use Wiseman to develop value, right? And and if they if they believe that he can do that, and you know it's it's a lot to ask someone who played what three. Uh, three college uh, games, yep. th- three college games, <laughs> to come in and and be uh, twenty five minutes a night for the Golden State Warriors, who are con- going to compete for a championship next year. Uh, that that's a lot to ask, but yet you think about Steve Curry, you think about the system he runs, you think about uh, the ball handlers that they have on the floor, and I think you're right. They they might make him look much better than he actually is, and if, if that's the case, it might be a really smart play. He could win rookie of the year. I mean, if you, if you just think about best fit, best situation, if, if they win 50 games and he's averaging 14 and eight, and this is not a great rookie class, he could, he could win rookie of the year. And then all of a sudden you have a player you can sell to someone else's ownership as a long-term asset. Right. I mean, and, and if he's, and if he's really peaking and hitting the season and it's not just the system, they really like him, then, you know, they've drafted a, a seven foot big, uh, who, who could be really, really, uh, impactful for them down the road and uh, obviously makes their team younger. Let's talk about Cleveland. Uh, they've drafted a couple of guards the last couple of years, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. They have a weird team. They have this young backcourt, and then they have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond in the in the front court. It seems like having a wing is where the big need is right now. I'm not really sure. I believe in Darius Garland for sure. And I have my, my reservations about Colin Sexton. Uh, anyway, it's so hard to know what direction this team is really going or what they're trying to do. What do they do on draft night? They've played themselves into a difficult spot. Um, I think you are not the only one who has reservations about Garland and reservations about Sexton. I'm with you. Uh, I was not like 
leaping at either prospect uh, over the last couple drafts. Um, I, I think, you know, if they stay put, you know, Obi Toppin has come up as someone they like. Uh, Denny Avdia has come up as someone they like. Isaac Okoro is a good fit in terms of needing a wing who defends. Uh, but I, I think something interesting to think about too um, is, you know, would they consider, uh, would they try to move up? And, you know, maybe do you say, maybe can we get value out of, you know, I think Garland's trade value is probably pretty down right now. I don't think you're going to get much for him. I think you have to let him play. Uh, but maybe you look at Sexton and say maybe, hey, you know, is there something we can parlay? You know, do we, if they like LaMelo enough, right? Uh, you know, maybe you say maybe would Golden State, and this is something I wrote about too, you know, would Golden State be interested in Sexton and number five, uh, something built around that, maybe throw in Kevon Looney. Can Cleveland get up to two? Can Golden State come back to five and get a player they like at five? Uh, and then Cleveland, you know, restarts. You maybe you try the Lamelo experiment, um, right? Because that's a front office that you know has made some. You know, arguably, you could argue that you know, the Garland and Sexton picks haven't hit yet, so uh, they could be under pressure. So I, I know that they're going to want to try to win. I don't know what the recipe is there. Andre Drummond's probably there to stay this season, just because he's going to make too much money to go anywhere else. Uh, so if you're thinking about who's the best fit, you know, Obi Toppin, maybe they like him, but you know, Obi Toppin, Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, you're going to five minutes for those guys. I don't know what the answer is. It's really tough. They're, they're a really interesting team to watch over the next few weeks. Yeah. A little bit of a head scratcher. Let's talk about one more team, uh, before we wrap up today, let's talk about the Detroit Pistons. Uh, they're sitting there at seven and, you know, I think with a Kongwu, Obi Toppin, um, Denny Avdia, you know, there's, st- you know, may- maybe, maybe a Halliburton is still on the board. Uh, some teams have a Coro, you know, up, up in this range as well. There's, there's still talent here at seven. Detroit is another team that it's a little bit difficult to understand what the play here is and, and what they're, what they're doing with their team. What do they do at seven? Yeah. If it were me making the pick, I think I'd be looking at guards there. Uh, you know, if you just if you look at what they have on the roster, you know, you can't. I don't think you can put too much stock into it because I think they're still a year or two away from sort of knowing what they're going to work with. Uh, you know, Troy Weaver just got there uh, as GM. You know, I, I wouldn't. I, I think philosophically, you're just hoping you get someone who's a piece who you can build around. Um, so you're going to take the you know the best the best guy. And you know, I think if Halliburton is there, they look hard at it. I think if Killian Hayes is there, that would be a really nice fit. Uh, just as somebody who you can sort of groom immediately, uh, you know, you know that, you know, it's going to be a good teachable minutes for that guy right away. You know, Detroit's probably not a team that's competing next season for much. Uh, you know, they will be in a good position next year because it's a strong draft. They'll probably have a top five or six pick uh, just, just looking at it right now. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to draft a future superstar, but you do need a guy who you feel confident you can build with. Uh, so, hey, I think Hayes would be a really nice fit there. Halliburton would be a nice fit there. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for, for dropping all the insight and, and uh, talking draft with us. I really appreciate uh, all the, the insight and uh, work that you've been putting into the draft and having you come on. For our listeners, uh, next week, uh, you'll tune in to the Athletics. Tony Jones uh, covers the, the, the Utah Jazz, and, and, and Tony, really entertaining uh, follow on, on Twitter, has a lot of opinions about a lot of these guys, and, and we're going to come in and, and – uh, Talk same thing. Talk about prospects where we agree, where we disagree. Uh, maybe get a little bit of insight uh, from Tony. Uh, that'll be next week. Uh, you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. 